Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We are finishing up our sermon series that we've entitled In the Grip of Grace. And over the last few weeks, we've walked through some portions of the book of Romans that have demonstrated to us, first, that God has rescued us from the mess of sin and how he demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners by sending Jesus to die for us. Today we want to see what a difference it makes in our lives to live in the grip of God's grace. I don't live in the financial world or in the financial sector, but I know that that people who do will sometimes talk about good debt and bad debt. I don't know how you feel about that, but I can tell you that I don't think there's good debt and bad debt. I think there's bad debt and worse debt. But you can take that as you will. You understand what they mean, right? Good debt is the debt that actually gets you forward in life, right? So a mortgage, for instance, can be considered good debt because you are building equity for the future. This person who made this little diagram here even included student loans in that because it's helpful for your future. I wonder how our students feel about that, right? But then you know that bad debt is the debt that is more for the here and now and hurts your future, right? Some will say that auto loans are like that because of the depreciation of a car immediately after you drive it off the lot. Or credit card debt, which satisfies you now, but then has to be paid back at a high interest rate later. Nobody enjoys owing other people money. Nobody enjoys being in debt. And that's what makes Paul's words so striking in Romans chapter 13 is he's going to talk to us about debt. He's going to talk to us about a debt that is a good debt, a truly good debt, a debt that continues over and over that never is paid. He's talking about a debt of love. The debt of love that brings blessings not only to our lives, but to the lives of others as well. And it's all because we live in the grip of God's grace. So today, as we take a look at these verses from Romans chapter 13, let's talk about what a difference the grace of God makes in our lives. Because what it does is it makes us willing to take on a debt of love. And then it also motivates us to love, to honor our Savior, Jesus. Listen again to chapter 13, verse 8 with me, please. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. To understand why Paul arrived at this talking about debt, we really have to take a look at the context of Romans chapter 13. I'll start with the wider context if we zoom out a little bit. If you would go to the very first verses of chapter 13, it's instructions from the Apostle Paul to honor and respect those in governing authority. That we, are to, we owe our respect and honor to government because, Paul makes the case, the authorities that exist have been established by God. In the more immediate context, the verse right before our text, the Apostle Paul says this, Pay anyone whatever it is that you owe them. If it's taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Can you almost 
see the gears turning in Paul's mind? As he lays out how a Christian is supposed to interact with government, he says, but you know what? There's even a higher calling that we have as God's people. There's a debt that we want to pay back because of what Jesus has done. That's what Paul's talking about. Did you notice that he called this debt outstanding? It's a continuing debt. It's never going to be paid in full. Maybe some of you have had the experience of paying off debt. Maybe a credit card that you wanted to get rid of or your student loans finally got paid off. I know students, that might be a little ways down the road, but trust me, it'll feel good when you get there. Right? Maybe you've even paid your mortgage off. Wow, that's a great feeling. The burden of that debt is lifted and you're free, free from that obligation. When Jesus tells us that we have a debt of love, when Paul says that it's a debt that's inexhaustible, that it's literally outstanding, we recognize that that's what God's requirement is. We're required to love one another. And I don't know about you, but as I read these words, at first, they're a little frightening because I know what God is asking me to do. God is asking me to love you in a way that is the exact same that Jesus loved me. And I know how impossible that is. I know the helpless feeling that comes when I think I have to do the best loving on my own. See, what Jesus wants to do, what Paul is trying to get us to see, is that being in the grip of grace changes our mindset. It completely turns around the way we approach living for God. Let me take you back to my childhood with a little example. And, and before I give you this example, I think it's important for me to state that this was a different time, okay? 40-some years ago was much different than today. And what you see on the screen today to many of you looks like a nice, nice, you know, useful, handy kitchen implement, right? That was a tool of terror in my house <laughs> because that was how my mother made us fall in line. And I can tell you without any reservation that I didn't even need to be struck by that spoon. All I needed to know was that she had it in her hand or even just rattled the drawer that it was in. And I did what I was supposed to do. Right? Fear can do that, can't it? Fear can make us obey because we have to, because the punishment on the other side of it is so great that we can't have any other choice but to fall in line. But eventually, fear can't motivate us properly. It never can. Because it's always out of fear, out of an obligation, feeling like we have to. And you see, what Jesus has done is turn that all around. Jesus, who went to the cross for you and me to take away all of our sins. Jesus, who lived a life that was free from sin for you and me, that's already accomplished. And it's yours and mine. And because we have that, because we know we have right standing before God, there is nothing required of us for our salvation. It's a gift. So do you see what Jesus does? He turns things around. When he asks us to love one another, it's in light of the love that he has for us first. Jesus turns something that's a burden into something that's joyful. He turns something that we feel like we have to do into something that we want to do. 
That's what the apostle is driving at in this text. And so he says this in verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there might be, there may be are summed up by this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's referring to what is sometimes termed the second table of God's law. There's two tables to God's law, the first and the second table. And you might remember, if you go all the way back to Exodus, then Moses went up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments from God. They were written on two tablets of stone. Those Ten Commandments, and we heard it in the readings before, divide nicely into describing two different relationships that we have as we live our lives in this world. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. The first table of the law is about our relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The second table of the law is about our relationship with each other. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not covet. Paul says that second table of the law is summarized with one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe you've already asked it in your own mind, but isn't the question that begs asking this one, who's my neighbor? Who is this about that I'm supposed to be neighborly to? Maybe you remember that somebody asked Jesus that very question, and who is my neighbor? Maybe you remember what Jesus answered because his answer was a story, a parable. One of Jesus' more, more well-known parables, probably, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that parable? The man was attacked by robbers, beat up, taken everything from him, laying on the side of the road, and his fellow countrymen, a priest and a Levite, walked by on the other side. It wasn't until a Samaritan came, a foreigner to the man, that he went and took care of the man's wounds, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper to care for him, and promised he would come back? That's what a neighbor is, Jesus says. That's exactly how he finished the parable. Which of those three men, he says, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? We get it, right? It's the man who helped him, not the two that walked by on the other side of the road. And you know Jesus' point, don't you? Jesus' point is simply this. Anyone is our neighbor. Everyone is our neighbor. Boy, that's easy to say in theory, but in practice, it's something completely different, isn't it? Really? Do you mean that that person that keeps posting all of that stuff online that's critical of me and, and people like me, that I'm supposed to love them? People who are on the opposite side of the political aisle than me, I'm supposed to love them and get along with them? The roommate? That just seems to rub me the wrong way every single day. I'm supposed to get along with that person? The person who betrayed your secrets? I'm supposed to love that person? We could go on and on, couldn't we? But Jesus' answer to every single one of those is yes, 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 we are to love them. Just think for a moment. Everything that came out of our mouths everything we posted on social media, everything that we did in this life was about love, wouldn't we stand out even more as God's people? 
Wouldn't people recognize that there was something special about us if we lived with love? Jesus, as he described what was coming as the end approached, said, During those last times, the love of most will grow cold. As I look around our world, I wonder if we're almost there. When I see the things that people say and do, I wonder if that love has already grown cold. How much more important for us to make a difference in this life, to let the difference of God's grace to us make a difference in the lives of others. Listen to how Paul finishes up the text. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Again, easy to say, not easy to do. It's really tough for us, isn't it? To put somebody else's needs before our own. To think of somebody else before ourselves. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. And he goes one step further. He says, that's how you fulfill the law of Christ. When you love selflessly, you're loving just like Jesus loved you. Jesus loved us so that we, in turn, can love others. And when you do that, as you have, doesn't it fill you with joy? Doesn't it fill you with joy to, to know that, that you're passing on the grace that, that you have from a Savior to other people? It fills you with joy because you know it's what God wants. You know that your words and actions for others honor Christ. But maybe you haven't thought about this, and if you have, great. You and I, as God's people, have an opportunity in this life to live with the most authentic love that there is, more than anyone else except our God and our Savior Jesus. Here's what I mean. You don't love others because you think you have to earn something from God. You don't love others because you think you're going to get something in return from them. You love others because Jesus loved you first. You love others because you're giving thanks for something that has already been done for you. I, I want to say that one more time. You don't love to get something. You don't love to earn something. You love because something has already been given to you. Do you see how that makes your love authentic? Because it's truly for the other person and not for any personal gain or something that you think you're going to get out of it. That's what the gospel does. That's what being in the grip of God's grace does. It allows you to love freely, to say, I'm already covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm already a child of God and an heir of eternal life and that's what I want for everybody else too. In effect, God's grace to us allows us to pay forward that grace to others. Let me talk just for a minute to our members today and all of those who support the mission of Wisconsin Lutheran Chapel and Student Center. To you, I can only say thank you. It's truly amazing what God does. Because a campus ministry in downtown Madison could not exist without the support, the prayers, the volunteering, all the things that you do as our members and supporters. And here's what I know. You have other options. There are other churches that you could go to. And most of the students that you help, you will never even meet. But isn't that a testimony to the love of God working in you? Your love for others? And my prayer is that God will continue to touch you with his love, that this ministry can continue through you and people like you. To our students, I know you're not in a position in your lives right now to support a campus ministry, but you can still live. 
You can still live as a child of God. You can still look around this place and be welcoming to people who come. You can live in such a way that you affect others who see you in your classes, at your workplace. And then maybe down the road, when God blesses you with a job, somewhere else, wherever you're living, then you can remember the people who helped you here and pay it forward to the people where you're at. That's what it means to fulfill the law of Christ, to think about others before ourselves, to love as Jesus loved us. I can't come up with a better description than the Apostle Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said it this way, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, Jesus' love for us makes us willing to take on a debt of love for others. We love because he first loved us. Number two, Jesus' love for us motivates us to show love to all people so that all will know his love. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that this way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Number three, Jesus' love for us is reflected in us when we honor him by loving others. Paul wrote to the Galatians these words, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Maybe you've heard this expression before. I like this expression. I didn't come up with it. But if you've had a chance to look in the night sky on a, on a full moon night, it's sometimes almost amazing how bright the moon can be when you consider the moon cannot produce its own light. The only thing the moon can do is reflect the light of that celestial body 90-some million miles away from it, the sun. And I thought about that when I thought about us. Because aren't we the moon? Isn't that what God has called us to do when he calls us to love others? To reflect the light and the love of the Son, the Son of God, our Savior, and be Jesus to others? When we do that, that's when we take on the debt of love, which is not a burden, but a joy. And we find that joy in loving as Christ loved us first. You are in the grip of God's grace. And that's what makes all the difference in the way that you live. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.